0: Welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Lucy Chamberlain.
1: And me, Saul Walker.
0: Now that autumn is making itself known to us, it seems a natural time to reflect on times past and look forward to new ventures ahead.
1: So, with that in mind, we'd like to give a nod to these recent few months by simultaneously embracing what lies in front of us, both practically and at our respective gardens, and by assessing how this exciting industry that we've decided to devote our professional lives to is evolving and thriving.
0: So many of us are showing this sector's true grid by quietly propagating new stock, dreaming up fresh initiatives, looking to new ways of working and generally supporting the trade. And our aim via this podcast is to muse on developments and showcase these horticultural heroes. We'll bring you two short 20-minute episodes each week, plus a longer bonus monthly interview.
1: What more of a reason do you need to join us on this journey? Let's once again step into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener.
0: Hello Saul, it is lovely to see you as ever.
1: Good evening, good evening, good evening everyone <laughs> listening in.
0: Yeah, I've just had to take my jumper off actually, I'm a bit warm and that's because I've got my firelight and the door closed but the, we were going to talk today about actually November has been a, a really quite mild month for us and I think it's the same for you in Devon hasn't it? Very friends? mild, I know yeah. you've had an awful lot of rain yeah. and in Essex we've had a fair bit to be fair which is, which is novelty for us. We were just... Saying that you know we we are talking about yep. putting plants away for the winter, lifting up our exotics and moving them into the greenhouse, and eventually getting those jobs done. But the window of opportunity to do that doesn't seem to have closed yet.
1: Do you know? I've not done much in my back garden. I've I've moved a few plants around and got the brugmansias ready for where they have to go in the polytunnel, but. Frames aren't up, covers aren't on yet. uh, uh, I've got an outside thermometer that records the temperature. 10 degrees it got down to last night, which I would be very happy with in late spring, even early summer at 10 degrees. And the problem is, is the plants haven't shut down yet. And it's, it's this hard sort of balance between wanting to get things ready and miss that first frost because the later Mm. it gets the more heavier the frost could be and you can lose plants but also making sure the plants are dormant you know we've mentioned in podcasts past that it's best to get the plants in slumber before you put them away just because then you don't have to do much with them if you put things away early then you have to still work at them when they're indoors and that can be quite tricky when you've got them all sort of jostling against each other so yeah it's yeah. it's 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 nice because from my point of view as uh, and yours as well at East Donland and Stonelands I must say we've been able to get on with a lot of work before the soil has got cold or the 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 ground has got unworkable and we can't drive the big machinery on. You know, we're still able to work on the borders. I've been clearing some borders. Mulch has been going down. Are we Plants been have been yeah, divided been and job. moved. Yeah, so... Yeah,
0: the weeds are still growing, so that's the only bad thing. That is
1: that is one of the things, but I'm <laughs> hoping that we've cleared a load of weed and that's it for the until at least the spring. Fingers crossed. I've told All, my
0: team that as well. That I've, I've told them that. That's fairy tale.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's the problem. Bittercress and your ephemerals seem to just yeah. keep popping up, and even if they don't make big plants, they still make these tiny plants. But they flower and they seed everywhere. So, yeah, it's 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 a bit like a a, a double edged sword in some ways because it used to be, and you know, I'm not reminiscing, I'm not getting old, and saying it was better back in my day. But um, twenty years ago, when I started in this profession there was a definite transition into winter you Mm. know the weather would change and it was winter time now guessing that change or even if it does happen especially down here in the milder parts of the UK you are really
0: feeling it aren't you yes yeah very much so
1: you you just don't know when it's going to happen and trying to plan actually trying to plan your year Mm. like that it's you know th- there is a period of time where you want things to rest also a good hard winter will help you with your pest problems it'll help yep. you with uh trees not growing so they have a rest and therefore they're not putting on a lot of um epicormic growth etc so i'm just yeah i'm a bit worried about because every year it seems to be getting more and more changeable so yeah. yes
0: I remember, again, and I'm talking about the, the time when I was st- still going to school, so a, a few years ago, I used to get my snowsuit on, run down the road. My dad would get the tractor out because there'd always be loads of snow every year and he'd have to clear the, the roads with his with his plough. I'd be ice skating on our pond. The, the ice would be a good three, four inches thick. And this was every year. Yeah. And I know we do still have you know spells where we have, do have very, very cold weather in the UK, but it's it's much more intermittent. You know, uh, it is it is much more of a, a guessing game now for a gardener in the autumn to work out the timings of doing certain tasks. And... You know, you can you can wing it with certain things. we well, now a lot of people do overwinter dahlias in the soil rather than mm. lifting them, as they which was the, the classic thing to do. And we're you know we're growing more exotic veg. That's one something I'm I'm interested in. And and as you say, it's it's interesting because it allows you to expand your growing horizons in some senses. But then in other ways, when you're trying to as you say, you know find that window of opportunity to jump in and do some renovations or whatever, that window is actually getting smaller. One thing that I think is interesting and it actually got us onto this topic tonight which is why we decided to to talk about the the weather was lawns lawns are still growing uh we're cutting ours at Telling home me. and at and at east donaland yeah you are too oh, i know i know yeah. you like you're you're mowing your your thinking time on your mower and um I, I i got sent the other day a press release from the lawn association and it piqued my interest because i thought Do you know what this has actually been put together quite nicely uh, they are talking about what we referenced here the the fact that the weather is adjusting it's changing and so maybe our classic and sort of knee-jerk response to what we should be doing to our lawns we should have a rethink of that because the grass still growing you know it's still utilizing nutrients it's still needing you know maybe slightly adjustment management of the grass in the autumn you know autumn is a is a key time for lawns to to get them primed and prepped and and revamped but they've Put together a release that has got some myths to it, which I thought was quite an interesting way of of dealing with this. And it's talking about the, the adjustments in the the weather and how we should maybe rethink the way we deal with our lawns. So I'll go through these, and it will it will just spark a bit of um, bit of thought from Mr. Walker, who I know loves his lawn.
1: lawn. <laughs> Myth
0: one is about mowing and saying I don't need to mow my grass in the winter, and the Lawn Association quite rightly is saying. In mild winters, grass will carry on growing and you may well need to cut it. And we we are experiencing that ourselves. I know when the soil is at five or four or five degrees centigrade, the grass will still grow. And you just need to not put that wet mower away just yet.
1: Yeah, I think this, again, this goes back to 20, 30 years ago is the classic sound. The classic sound of an English summer was a, a lawnmower <laughs> was going, on up and down up and down the row of houses and every weekend yeah exactly uh, you go out now and you won't hear them but if you're at Stonelands or if you're at East Donland, you will hear our mowers going i, I was mowing on Thursday full um regime so um uh Stonelands we have 2 acres of lawn we've got three machines a ride on mower uh, a rough mower and a formal uh, mower we had them all out and we were mowing and I've got to say we were taking off as much grass as I would do in in a spring uh, summertime so yeah. the lawns uh, and the grass is still growing. And the classic line that I give uh, both Nigel, my colleague, and my and my apprentice, Claire, is hopefully this will be the last time we'll get the <laughs> machines out. And I've said that three <laughs> times in a row now. And I really am hoping this week would be the last. But I don't think it will because, l- mm. like I was saying last night, uh, we didn't get down below 10 degrees centigrade. It's mm. it, it's classic uh, grass-growing weather. So I have a feeling we'll be mowing it again next week. Um, yeah. And... If the grass is growing, the key is to mow it.
0: That is your new mantra, Saul. If it doesn't stop growing, then don't stop mowing. There you go. I'll give you there that you one from the long Association. That's the new one. Nigel, you'll be hearing that uh, next week.
1: <laughs> but it, it's absolutely right, because the problem is, is, if you let your grass grow too long, it does start getting... It, it doesn't go woody, but the grass stem starts lignifying. And therefore, mm. when you cut it again, you actually cause damage rather than just cutting the leaf blade, which actually stimulates more leaf growth and therefore keeping your lawn greener. If you cut it when it's more lignified, then you, let you that's when you get that classic look of a lawn that's both green and yellow with sort of yellow flecks through it. Yeah. Um, so if you want to keep your lawns green and healthy, you need to keep mowing uh as it's growing
0: that's a good one and and also you know maybe raise the mower height i think that's something to do though you don't yeah. want to be scalping your your grass in the winter because if you do then get a really harsh frost you're 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 not going to do it much good moving on to myth two which is about aeration so it's saying um people need to aerate and then apply sand so we're not talking about sand we're talking about say sharp sand to open up the aeration holes do you hollow tine aerate at Stonings or We do. Not? We
1: do hollow tine aer- aerate. Um, mm. I haven't done it for a year and a half now, but mostly because of the pandemic and I'm on my own. <laughs> yeah. Trying to hold a scarifier in one hand and an aerator in the other is not a pretty sight. But um, yes, we mm. do hollow tine aerate. I find it really adds to the health of the lawn, but especially when you've got big machinery on your lawn all year. So if you've got a larger lawn at home and you have something like a ride-on mower, uh, whether it's a big one like ours or a small one, you can get the smaller ones, you'll find that you are compacting the grass the more and more you drive over it. Um, Mm. uh, If you've got little ones at home and they use the lawn as a football pitch, it gets incredibly compacted, especially around those goal mouths. The goals, yeah. A classic bare soil around the goal mouths. Um, and it's worth getting in a, a hollow. There are two types of aerators. You can get a hollow tine and a solid tine. The solid mm. tine is a bit like if you were just to take a fork, like a, a, yeah, a, a large a garden, garden fork, to the to the soil and just um, sort of place it in and, and sort of wiggle it about. It tends to do a good job of getting air into the depth of soil, but it does compact the soil some more around the tines. The hollow uh, tine excavators take out plugs of soil, so you're literally. Adding holes into the ground, the soil can get into. Mm. Um, The myth it's saying here is that you have to apply sand afterwards, and and this is a something that a lot of the groundskeepers do in some of the sports facilities. But you definitely don't have to do it at home. It's not it's not needed, and it takes a lot of work. Just having the holes in your lawn for the airs to get down to the roots will stimulate your lawn uh, all the way as good as having sand.
0: Well, and also I know. In our minds, you think, yeah, I've taken a core of soil out with my aerator." And then I get some, some, sorry, not lawn sand, some sand, and I brush it over the top. How deep down does that sand get into that hole anyhow? I, do you know in, yeah. in an ideal world, yeah, you know it's all going to trickle in nicely and fill the thing up from bottom to top. That doesn't, it's just not how it works. You and I know, we're practical people. We just mm. know that that's just not how it's going to work. So I can see exactly the, the point that it's making. You want to get air into the soil. That's the most important thing. That's the thing. key. That's the and, key. Uh, and yeah, so you don't need to worry about applying the sand after every single time. Myth number three is about scarifying. I love a good scarify yes. <laughs> so um the lawn association are saying people are assuming that scarifying is all about moss control yeah they're referencing that that scarifying does as an aside control an amount of moss but it's actually the thatch the dead and accumulated layers of grass that scarifying is trying to remove to encourage a healthy sword that builds up over time doesn't it you get this very congested layer i know the front mm. lawn at uh, eastern hall we actually took a core out of that to see how deep the thatch was whoa it was yeah, a few inches I bet it went down a few inches and we mm. were because the the lawn had been you know sown eons ago and um yeah, the, the the scarifying is actually about getting rid of that layer of thatch, so that you then get, again, you you you're what you're doing is almost like pruning the grass because you're then encouraging it to regrow by getting that thatch out. You're you're encouraging it to kind of bulk up and it, it gets air to the grass. It gets rid of any um, humidity and fogginess that can that can encourage things like snow mold and red thread and all those kind of turf diseases that we know about. So. Yes, scarification will control moss, but it's actually more about getting rid of that thatch layer. And thatch is a marvelous thing, isn't it? Once you get it out, it's the, it's a great thing to add to to a compost mix. Yeah. You can add it to your leaf mold if you want to to speed up the rotting of the leaf mold because it's got some nitrogen component to it. Birds love it for making nests, so it's 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 actually a very useful material.
1: Well, I use it for cuttings uh, for my brugmansia mm. sometimes because it holds onto the moisture quite nicely around around my cutting. So it is worth it. And the classic thatchy look thatch uh, ridden lawn is the one where you walk over it and you look back and you can see your footsteps. You know, it's a bit like walking in on the beach. You can see your footsteps in the lawn. So if you've got something like that, it is really worth getting the scarifier out and do it over the whole lawn. Even if the grass doesn't look like it's thatchy uh, and you just think you're trying to remove where it's more mossy. No, scarify the whole lawn. And I tend to scarify twice at two different angles that are perpendicular mm. to each other because I find that that gets rid of more thatch that you thought you got rid of in your first pass.
0: It's one of those jobs that you can just keep doing, can't you? Yeah. Um, You you think I've got it all out and then you go, I'll have another little go and you can still get more out. Um, I should move on quickly to Myth 3 because I'm mindful of the time with our podcast. Myth 3 is also about scarifying. My lawn is small, so a wire rake will do. And the Lawn Association is saying a wire rake is not really going to cut the mustard. It It pulls out some of the dead grass, but it's not really doing a great job of what scarifying is doing, which is reinvigorating that turf. A slitter anything like that, actually, a, a bladed machine, a, some kind of slitting device, which you can buy as a as a mechanical slitter, can't you? Or you can, I'm sure you can get manual ones as well. That actually is, uh, as I say, reinvigorating and, and pruning that grass. So it actually does a better job than a, a rake does. Wire rakes are useful and they're cheap and economical. We, we grant you that. But it might not be quite so as effective as actually slitting that grass.
1: Yeah, one, one of the problems is, is that most of the scarifying machines that are available to the home grower, the cheaper ones, are actually all, all rake. They have tines, mm. um, whereas the bladed machines are slightly more expensive. But the bladed machines do so much a better job. They get deeper into any thatch. They cut all the side stems of grass. So grass doesn't only mm. grow upwards, it actually grows sideways as well. And it puts out what we call stolons, which are creeping stems that run along the, uh, the the surface of the soil. And by cutting them, then you turn all of those side shoots into individual plants and you get a denser sward. And you can hire them, you can hire these bladed machines, so they don't cost you that much. And actually, you'll find that you probably do the job quicker with a bladed machine than you will with a... Um, time machine. The only key with the bladed machine is to get the height correct. Um, you don't want it cutting too deep or it turns into an aerator where it's cutting mm. into the soil. But if you don't have it deep enough, it doesn't get into the thatch do the and, you, and you'll think this machine's not doing anything. So adjusting the height correctly when you start with the bladed machine is the most important thing.
0: Yeah. Moving on to, so this is myth. I like this, this person who wrote this press release. Myth 3.3. So it's not. I love it. It About this is also about scarifying. Hence the point three. You should use moss killer before you scarify. They are saying no. Don't do this. It simply kills off the top part of the moss. Apply afterwards so it can reach to the bottom of the plant. Which makes sense, doesn't it? Do you know? So um, absolutely. People often ask the sequence of of what you have to do. But yeah, this is logical. If you put the moss killer on and you've got a massive big thick layer of moss it's not going to penetrate through until the to the deeper layers so do all your your scarifying first then apply the moss killer to any remnants of moss and it will do a much more efficient job
1: the point of moss killer is to kill the moss and then mm. once it's killed it rots away there's no you don't yeah. have to remove the moss because the moss is will be dead and it will rot away. It's, it's, it's not, uh, the, the problem is if you do it beforehand, you tend to do it the day before and then go and scarify. You're actually just getting rid of all your hard work putting the moss killer down. So yeah, yeah, yeah. do it afterwards.
0: It does turn a lovely black colour. I think people think it's satisfying, don't they? When you put your lawn sand on to do con- your ferrosulfate to control your moss, if you are putting it on that top layer, yeah, the moss on the top is going to go black, and you think, oh, that's done a good job. But that's well, you feel, feel like you're, you're doing something. You feel yeah.
1: like you're doing something, don't you, when you scarify it and it comes out? But actually, all you're mm. doing is leaving the bottom part of the moss to grow back. So yeah,
0: yeah. So, Mythful, we're going to move on from scarifying to nutrition of your grass. My grass doesn't do much in the winter, so it doesn't need a feed. So this is again referencing what we've talked to you right at the start of this podcast about the weather, about the weather being milder, and, and then in milder conditions, we're to say it gets to five degrees C, the grass will st- will keep growing as long as it just doesn't dip below that that magic temperature. So if it's growing, it's utilizing nutrients, and if it's mm. utilizing nutrients and they're not there, then the grass is gonna not do very well. It's, it does benefit from feeding, so you can get autumn winter feeds, which especially in your neck of the woods, so where it's mild and the grass probably will go keep growing twelve months of the year. I guess, do you use those at Stonelands? When would you last put, put your feed down? So
1: the last uh, autumn feed I did was in October. Um, mm. We t- we tend to do two feeds, an autumn feed and a spring feed. I don't tend to feed twice, although that's beginning to get more and more realistic, especially if yeah. the grass keeps growing. But exactly. the, key, the key with an autumn feed is it's low nitrogen to, to hopefully not encourage too much top growth, but it's high um, phosphate and... Uh, potassium um, they're high phosphate and potassium because what you want to do is you want to encourage what's going under the under the ground more you want to improve the root uh, growth so that you get a, a a healthy and again it's going back to being a dense sward the best lawns have more uh, roots and blades per square inch so if if you're a te- if you're a technological like me and you've got a printer, it's all about how many dots per inch you have to make the photos look good. It's the same in the lawn. It's how many blades per inch you have in your lawn that will make that dense and lovely green lawn that you're looking for. And that can be done by feeding both doing a spring and a winter feed. Sometimes you can also put a summer feed on as well. It's sort of like a second spring feed. Yeah. They're usually high nitrogen to encourage the lawn to be greener. But it is really worth at this time of year, and if you haven't done it if, and your lawn is still growing, like they're saying, uh, the lawn associates is saying, there's still plenty of time to put a feed down because the roots are taking up nutrition at the moment.
0: Yeah, I say if your grass is growing, it's needing nutrition, so so that's a good sign that it might well need a feed. And and just to say, you know, a, a healthy lawn, all this efforts, the scarifying, the feeding, the all all that is actually. It will really help you in the long run. It won't just be looking nice and green and lush and verdant. It will keep down weeds because it will be able to outcompete weeds. I mean, the classic quoted is clover. If you've got clover on your lawn, it's because often the lawn hasn't been fed properly and and clover can actually generate its own nitrogen essentially from the soil. It fixes nitrogen so it can, in a poor soil, it it can out-compete any grass. So if you're in the summer wanting to put your high nitrogen feed down, that will actually help you to allow the grass to outcompete the clover and that's true for for your lawn you you do want it to be healthy and vigorous not just to look nice but also to save you some work in the long run we we um got snow mold at east donerland a few years ago now and that is a, a very kind of classic winter disease it comes when you get this very dank weather i imagine actually in the west country it might be something that you get quite a lot and it literally does look because of the name it is literally like a white fuzzy growth on the grass and it can be quite destructive it's again if you're not scarifying the grass if you're not getting that thatch out that layer of, of of dead grass stems there then problems like that will keep coming back so all this work on the lawn it's actually quite useful in the, in the winter and the autumn months when you're actually feeling quite chilly and you need one of those jobs to keep you warmed up. You know, or you want to be doing some scarifying or I find leaf raking in the autumn is quite useful. Our has just deposited, I don't know how many thousands of leaves on all the grass <laughs> at East Donnellan Hall. And we need to get those up because that again, if you get a compacted layer of leaves over your lawn, they do definitely need to be raked up.
1: We've reached the end of today's episode and we sincerely hope that you found it informative and entertaining. If you'd like to leave us a review via your podcast provider, we'd be delighted to know your thoughts.
0: While many aspects of the garden year are behind us, there are still plenty of horticultural milestones to mark. So Saul and myself are eager to bring you yet more valuable episodes of the Talking Heads podcast. We're also keen to visit those iconic gardens, large and small, of our peers and friends.
1: With this in mind, you can look forward to an autumn packed full of interviews, road trips, practical advice, and of course, mine and Lucy's opinions on all manner of wide-ranging horticultural topics. We want to ensure that our listeners are kept up to date with what any self-respecting head gardener needs to know.
0: So, until the next episode of Talking Heads...
1: Goodbye! Goodbye!
0: I I should explain that I just had to strip off in front of the store but my t-shirts oh no that came out wrong (laughs) (laughs) that came out completely wrong hang on let me start that again (laughs) oh no (laughs) right